Hi, and welcome to Cryptobiography. I'm your host, Brandon Starr. This is episode 325 of Cryptobiography, and it's part three of Tomorrow. And here we go. Betty was curious about that symbol on the ship's sail, though. She told the story to her teacher and learned that the symbol was part of a book which could be found in the library. She went there and found it. It was large, with a red color, much like the color of the cross on the boat, but the cross was a lot simpler. The words on the cover gave her pause. Holy Bible. She was quite well read for her age, but both words flummoxed her. She went to the dictionary. Holy apparently meant dedicated or consecrated to a religion or religious purpose or sacred. Okay, she thought. She wasn't sure about all these words either, but felt she had the gist. Bible was the Christian scriptures, including the Old and New Testaments. It could also mean an authoritative source. So the book related to the Christian religion, basically, she thought. It also had a lot of extra meaning around it, clearly, but she didn't trust her knowledge yet. She started reading the book from the beginning. Literally, the beginning. It started with that phrase. She started in, and the story it told was most bizarre. It first started out with the history of the universe, and then zoomed in on some people who were made by a god called, apparently, God, and who, shortly after giving them a brain, catches them in a gotcha and curses them. And just as she was getting used to those characters, the story zoomed forward and started talking about other people, then other people, then other people, and apparently moving forward whole centuries at a time. None of the people were given more than a cursory amount of background or development, except for a few semi-main characters like Job, Moses, and a few others. She supposed the main character was God, who was a cruel and capricious character. He popped up from time to time, almost always killing people, and usually for reasons that no moral person could countenance. The book also had loads of rules, which didn't seem to be pointed at any particular character in the book, rather for people who were reading the book. But that didn't make much sense because of the nature of these strange and random rules. Multiple times, the book emphasized that a kid goat must not be boiled in its mother's milk. Was this a thing that was ever done? And even if it was, why was it important that there be a rule against it? She let the rules sort of wash over her, and eventually got to more stories about more people, most of whom were killing each other in violent ways. The main character popped up here and there, doing the same sort of things as always. After a few good hours of reading, it was getting towards dinner, and she knew she'd have to return to it later. But she wondered why that symbol on the book was also on the boat. That night was one of the community dinners. The weather was good, and everyone brought dishes they knew a lot of their neighbors would like. They'd also slaughtered a steer, a rarity usually reserved for such occasions. There weren't a lot of grazing land near where everyone lived, and so there wasn't a great number of cattle. Since all meat had to be eaten promptly or cured with smoke or salt, they enjoyed most fresh beef altogether on nights like this. 
Betty and Albert Philgard's parents had an extensive collection of vegetables, particularly tomatoes, but more importantly, grew a lot of the rare chilies that allowed them to make spicy foods. They also dried the chilies, and that was one of the services they provided the community, allowing all families to have access to the spices. Tonight, they bought a huge bowl of their salsa, which would go with the tortilla chips made not only by the Philgards, but also by a number of their neighbors. Everyone enjoyed a good tortilla chip, particularly because it was one of the foods expected to be salted. Salt wasn't exactly a rare commodity, but it did take a fair bit of work for the community to evaporate seawater and make salt available for everyone to use, for flavoring, for food preservation, and as an essential nutrient. The elders would sometimes reminisce of meals when they were kids where shakers of salt were freely available on any table. The Philgards sat, as they often did, with the brewers. The brewers had parents that Betty and Albert's parents enjoyed talking to, and they had two children of similar ages. Joan was also twelve, and Ron was eight. The two pairs of children were each other's best friends. Joan and Ron had lots of stories to tell, especially because their parents were scavengers. Scavenging the old buildings from before the inundation, as the locals called it, was still done even now decades after the changes that had been wrought by the rising seas. Though it was a lot harder work now, as all the simple and nearby scavenging had long been done, there were still important discoveries to be made. Also, the scavengers tended to be the ones to find new uses for all the old things they found. It was often said that scavengers were not honored before the inundation, but now they provided an invaluable service to the community. They brought back tools, raw materials, and interesting or useful objects. They even occasionally brought back food, though now the only food that tended to have survived was wine kept in wine cellars, and occasionally sugar, salt, and other simple materials that managed to avoid being damaged by weather and time. Joan and Ron went scavenging with their parents on most days when they weren't being schooled, so they always had stories of weird things they found, strange places they saw, even the occasional danger. But today it was Betty and Albert who had the stories to tell their friends. They told them all about the strange boat and how they attacked Oliver Copland and almost stuck him with an arrow. By the end of the story, the adults were also listening in. There are people shooting arrows who were from the mainland? Her mom asked, alarmed. Yeah. I'm sure Kelly and Oliver and John will tell all about it at the next update meeting, Betty said. The adults had meetings to make sure everyone knew important information. Her mom still looked discomfited, so Betty added, Albert and I were not in any danger. They were stuck on the rock and way out of arrow range for us on the land. Her mother held her cheek and smiled, but Betty could tell she was still uneasy. Joan and Ron were suitably impressed by the story and asked many questions, most of which Betty had no idea the real answers to. They played together after dinner, and Joan and Ron showed Betty and Albert a Lego set that was found in a flattened house. It had never been opened, and had almost no damage on the box, as it had been found in a rather sturdy plastic bag. They built it together, making a winter village bakery right out on the picnic table. It took most of the evening until it was their bedtime. They had some idea of what a bakery was, but there usually wasn't enough grain in the town to bake goods, except for now, as the autumn had the adults reaping the local wheat fields. That night, Betty found herself thinking about bakeries. She'd never been in a real one, but she'd read some stories that involved them, 
and the Lego set brought them again to mind. She could almost smell that what they were like, based on the few times she had been able to have baked bread. She loved plants and farming, and hoped that someday she'd be able to make enough grains to have her own bakery, of a sort. She wondered how it would smell as she drifted off to sleep. And that's the end of this part of the story. I hope you've enjoyed it. I am enjoying writing it. And if you have any comments or questions about this story, epi this episode, or previous episodes, cryptobiography at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter or Mastodon. And thanks for listening. Words of Music Copyright 2023, Cryptobiography LLC, all rights reserved. Characters and events are fictional, fictionalized, or satirical. <laughs>